This programme was produced at and first aired on NPR, Manawatu People's Radio, with support from New Zealand On Air. Kapai Irarangi Tomotu, NPR. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. grace for another week. I pray you will be blessed. My name's Lynette and I'm joined by my husband, Dennis. And um, here at Amazing Grace, we want to hear from you. We also have some free giveaways. The book signs a little book, but um, packed with punch has articles on health and family issues we face in life today. And you can find this here locally in Palmerston North at um, most of the takeaways have a have a, um, a supply of them. And also um, directly by contacting us, you are welcome to have a copy of the book's book, a powerful, beautiful book, Steps to Christ. We are also um, happy to pray for you or a friend on or off ear or family member. And uh, you can contact us either by email, and the email address is info at mpr.nz, or text on 022-6815216. Going to start today with some thoughts on uh, Doubting Thomas and it's really interesting, and I'm just going to uh, read from John twenty twenty four to 29. Now Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that's from the Bible from John twenty twenty four to 29. So just um, I'm just sharing some thoughts from a book by Timothy Keller, Hope in Times of Fear. 
hope in times of fear. And uh, that reminds me of uh, a, a person that um, I heard of yesterday who here in, in, in New Zealand, actually, many people are going to be terminated from their jobs on Monday. And, uh, yeah, medical workers and fire fire people and um, teachers. And this voluntary fire person who also had a, a paid job who was going to, is going to lose all that um, by the end of Monday, she was um, sharing how... How valuable she felt when, you know, up until Monday. On Monday, she could save a child from a burning house and she could do all sorts of other things. But on Tuesday next week, she said she will just be worthless, nothing. There'll be no point for her existence. And that is so, so, so tragic. And so. I'm hoping that this gives you some hope if you're feeling a similar way. We so much uh, need to hear what how, what God thinks of us. So going back to Doubting Thomas and how he, he couldn't believe that Jesus was alive, he said at least he actually put his hand on the nail prints and his hand in the side of Jesus. So firstly, Thomas had the same eyewitness evidence that we can have today. Second, however, Thomas had to be brought to see that Jesus did not merely rise from the dead, but that he rose from the dead for him. When Jesus next appeared in the midst of his disciples, he turned directly to the doubter and stretching out his hands said, Put your finger here, reach out your hands, Here's my side. Put your hand in it, Thomas responded immediately. My Lord and my God. What brought him so decisively to faith? Despite the offer, there is no indication in the text that Thomas actually did what he had asked to do, namely put his hands into Jesus' wounds. So then, what overcame his doubts? A writer, Leon Morris, writes, It is possible that it was the words of Jesus more than anything that brought conviction, for they showed that Jesus had been perfectly aware of what Thomas had said down, had, sorry, what Thomas had laid down as his demands. How did he arrive at this knowledge? Unless he had been with Thomas unseen. Morris's argument is this. How did Jesus know about all Thomas's demands? Did one of the disciples know where Jesus was staying and run to him saying, let me tell you what Thomas said? Of course not. Jesus knew everything because he was always walking unseen right next to Thomas. He had heard Thomas's refusal to believe his friends. He saw the cynicism and fear in Thomas's heart, and yet he came to him as requested. Jesus was saying to Thomas, I know all your doubts, all your fears, 
all your broken promises and all your flaws. I've seen you to the bottom, but I will love you and I'm still here for you. And he's saying to you, He's saying that to you and I today. Thomas was humbled by Jesus' grace and suddenly the wounds took on new meaning. He originally wanted to see the wounds as evidence of Jesus' power. Now he saw them for what they really were, evidence of Jesus' love, his sacrificial love for him. Jesus was saying in effect, The wounds are not simply evidence that I am alive. They are proof that I died for you, that your debt was fully paid and that the power of death over you is broken. I thought they were some very powerful thoughts. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the good news that you have rescued us, Jesus. We pray that you will be with us today, be with the ones who are listening, and may we hear your voice speaking to each of us. I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Right, we'll have a song now and... uh, It's called Rescuer. He is our rescuer.
right. Okay. So sorry about that. We might have the rescuer for our next song. So anyways, it's really good to rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. And that's from Philippians 4, 4 to 7, I believe. And yeah, I from the book that I've been sharing, I do remember that Dr. Darren Morton talked about the power of speaking positively. And I believe that God's telling us um, a powerful secret when he says <clears throat> to rejoice when things are hard as well as when things are not so hard to count our blessings. Alrighty, so the health tip for today, sharing from Dr. Darren Morton, Live More Happy, and we're on to the chapter that uh, is called Together Feels Better, Immerse in an Uplifting Social Environment. And he says, most of us know the feeling, someone in the group yawns, and then the rest of us will are doing it as well without even thinking about it. For some people, just mentioning yawning is enough to get them pulling funny faces. Researchers report that about half of all adults yawn when they see someone else do it. And if you're yawning now after reading this opening paragraph, you know exactly what I'm talking about. To better understand why why yawning is so socially contagious, researchers placed people in a MRI brain scanning machine to examine what happens in their brains when they observed a video of someone else yawning. The researchers discovered that the people's limbos, their feeling centre in their brain, lit up when viewing a yawn. It is now believed that yawning is an expression of empathy. Our limbo is feeling the experience of the yawner. That's interesting, isn't it? Scientists have discovered that within our brain are nerves that fire in concert with other people's brain activity. These nerves, referred to as mirror neurons, activate in such a way that it is like we are performing and experiencing the actions and emotions that we observe in others. It is believed that mirror neurons help us learn new skills through imitation and help us identify with the feelings of others by empathising with them. Have you noticed that when someone smiles at you, there is a natural tendency to smile back? This is our mirror neurons in our limbo at work. Or watch someone else bite into a lemon and notice what happens to your salivary glands. Studies have shown that our mirror neurons can even pick up on the subtle things that others do and cause us to imitate them without us being consciously aware of it. In one experiment, two people were put in a room and given a task that required them to concentrate. Unbeknown to one of the individuals, the subject, the other person in the room, was really there to influence them. While head down doing the task, the influencer repeatedly rubbed their face. After a short time, the unsuspecting subject 
began to unconsciously rub their face too. Next, the influencer began to repeatedly move their foot. The subject began to unknowingly do likewise. Our tendency to mimic each other has been labelled the chameleon effect. It can be so powerful that it has even been suggested that couples can come to look more alike as they mirror each other's facial expressions, resulting in their faces sculpturing to appear more similar. And I remember seeing some photos of that a while back, and it is just amazing how these couples, um, as they um, grew together um, and and the years passed, how much they became looking like each other, as if growing to look more like our pet isn't bad enough. Now they tell us that we grow to look more like each other. Neuroscientists have discovered that because mirror neurons interact closely with our limbo, they play a role in how we feel toward others. For example, studies have shown that people who connect well with and feel strongly for others Having a good ability to empathize—I'm getting tongue-tied with that word today—empathize. That's it. Tend to demonstrate more chameleon behaviors, meaning they more naturally mimic the actions of those they are empathizing with, and people like people who empathize with them. Indeed, the ability to feel for and with others is considered one of the pillars of emotional intelligence, which is now recognised as far more important than academic intelligence in determining determining life success. Interestingly, damage to an individual's limbo in the form of a stroke or tumour can result in an inability for them to read how someone is feeling by observing their facial gestures. It seems our limbos communicate with each other in their own secret language, in ways that we are not consciously aware of. For example, have you ever interacted with someone and walked away feeling that something wasn't quite right, but you couldn't put your finger on it? Why you felt that way? In other words, our limbo read the situation a certain way, but our leader, our thinking brain, had no idea why, because it was busy thinking about the conversation. In this regard, we need to heed our limbo more than we do. It is important to ask someone if they are okay when our limbo gives us the feeling that they might not be. So that's really in some interesting thoughts, isn't it? Alrighty, now because I'm not too clever at doing two things at once and changing a CD, our next song um, will be not The Rescuer, but hopefully the one after that. But here it comes now.
Thank you, Dennis. Yes, it's um, very good to be with you again today. Um, the book of Revelation is such an important um, um, book of the Bible, <clears throat> especially as we get close to the end of the world. It deals with um, the events um, leading up to the end of the world and um, yes, and the coming of Jesus. So it's a really important book. And the book of Daniel is really important too. The two go together. Now, last time we, um, last time, last session that we did, we were talking about um, Laodicea, and <clears throat> there's 21 promises in uh, the seven churches, and um, they culminate in the last one, which is um, Revelation three and verse 21 but now I've been promoting um, a set of uh, booklets which you can get online Um, all you've got to do is put in revelation hope meaning and purpose and you'll be able to get them and they really make it a lot easier to understand the book of revelation now I'm just going to read 
a wee bit here um, from page three, and this is this. It, it's it's the one on Revelation um, four and five, and this is what he says here. He says, in Revelation, the last words of the scene can summarize what has just been said, and introduce the key element uh, for understanding what is coming up in the next scene. So Revelation 3.21 gives us a summary of the basis, the basic content of what is to be given in chapter 4 to 7, where we have the throne, scenes followed by the seven seals. In the letters uh, to each of the seven churches, the overcomers are promised rewards. The Laodicean promise is the climax and the best to sit with Jesus on his throne. We have to wait until uh, Revelation 4 to find out about the throne room. So Revelation 3.21 says, To him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne, just as I overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. So Revelation 4, uh, one, we um, begin... Um, to see what happened in heaven. And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And Revelation 4 and 5 reveals the throne the throne room in heaven. So um, we're just going to have a break now and then we will come back to this exciting chapter. Support this show and others like it by giving a donation. For more information, go to www.mpr.nz forward slash donate. If you're a fan of NPR, listening to our podcasts and live stream has never been easier. Just search for accessmedia.nz on the App Store or Google Play and download the app with the Kiwi Fruit logo. Once you've got it, pick Manawatu People's Radio from the list of stations and go find your new favourite show. Welcome back. And so, yes, you're listening to Amazing Grace and just like to tell you about the uh, free giveaways again, the magazine signs of the times in the local takeaways here in Palmerston North. And if you also would be interested in getting the book Steps to Christ, which is a really powerful um, and beautiful book you can get that by contacting us and we are also happy to pray for you or a friend or family member on or off air. You can contact us by email info at mpr.nz or text on 022-6815216. Now back to Dennis on Revelation. Yes, welcome back. Um, so we're looking at uh, Revelation chapter 4, <clears throat> and I was just reading from uh, these booklets which uh, I've been promoting that you can get online by just looking at Revelation, Hope, Meaning and Purpose. Put that into Google and you'll find the information. So I, I finished by saying Revelation 4 and 5 reveals the throne room seen in heaven. So in chapter 4, God the Father is on on the throne. Chapter 5, Jesus is standing in the center of the throne. And in chapter 7, the redeemed 
before the throne join in with the heavenly worship. So it's quite important, actually, the last verse before you get into a new scene. Now, just to illustrate that again, um, in chapter 6, the end, it talks about the coming of Jesus. And verse 16, it says, They call for the mountains and the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. And then it asks a question, For the great day of his wrath has come. Who will be able to stand? So it asking the question here, who will be able to stand? And then chapter 7 talks about those who will be able to stand when Jesus comes. So the last verse in chapter 3 is really important because it's saying, to him who overcomes, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne. And then chapter 4 is talking about the throne. Now in Revelation Um, 4 is all about the throne in heaven 40 times throne in the book of Revelation and there's 57 times in the New Testament the word throne in chapter 4 and 5 which is almost half of all the ones in Revelation it's 19 times the word throne in 4 and 5 so it must be important eh? must be important now, <clears throat> I'm going to get my, uh, my lovely wife to, um, to read through here because I'm struggling with my voice a wee bit. So, um, Lynette, could you read um, 1 to verse 3? Mm-hmm. So, I'm reading from the New International Version, Revelation 4. After this, I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said come up here and I will show you what must take place after this at once I was in the spirit and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it and the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby a rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne Surrounding the throne. Yeah, no, that's all right. Just one to three. Oh, sorry. Um, mm-hmm. So here we have a <clears throat> description of the throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And um, it talks about the appearance um, of those emeralds and a rainbow. So everything has important. Remember the rainbow was first introduced after the flood. God promised. It's a promise. So when we see the rainbow in the sky, we know that God is not going to destroy the world by a flood again. Right? So it's a promise, right? And actually, this rainbow um, circles right around. When we see a rainbow, we generally just see half the rainbow. But this rainbow circles right around. And each of these, um, um, you know, jasper, each of them represent um, um, important things. Um, So... (coughs) You have a look at the breastplate of the um, high priest, and um, yeah, so that, that's interesting. Now we're just going to go through it because there's just so much detail that we could give. So, Lynette, if you could read um, chapter, I mean, verse four, mm-hmm. verse four. Mm-hmm. Surrounding the throne were twenty-four other thrones, 
and seated on them were twenty-four elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their head. Right, so here we have <coughs> 24 other thrones um, and 24 elders. Now I wonder who these are. <coughs> so they are surrounding the throne. So you've got this throne, God on the throne, and then you have uh, 24 other thrones right around the throne of God, 24 elders. Now... <coughs> In these uh, little booklets that I've been promoting that you can get online by going to Google and putting Revelation, Hope, Meaning and Purpose, Um, and this is what it says here on page 10 and 11. Now, for instance, they are wearing white garments. In Revelation, this is a dress for the faithful people of God. Now, if you have a look at um, Revelation 3 um, and verse 4, and it says, Yet um, you have a few people in Sardis who have not spoiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. Right? So that's interesting. And then in Revelation um, 3 verse 18 talking about Laodicea one of the council was to for clothes white clothes so um, the nakedness can be covered so that's interesting isn't it um, now they um, have crowns on the head which is a crown of victory um, the number 24 is symbolic of two sets of 12 Um 12 is a crucial number in Revelation. Notice how often the number appears in Revelation, particularly uh, when it's talking about the holy city. We have on the gates the names of each of the tribes of Israel and on the foundation of the walls the name of the 12 apostles. For both, the number is linked with the people of God. Um, So in in earthly sanctuary, there were 24 courses of priests who took turns in ministering in the sanctuary. And if you have a look in First uh, Chronicles 24, you will see that. So the 24 elders are continually involved in worship and are represented, representing the prayers from the saints to God. So it's interesting. Um, Now, the evidence suggests that 24 elders in Revelation 4 are glorified saints who represent the redeemed of all ages. And we are told, um, no, we are not told how they got um, to be in heaven. They could be those who were raised when Jesus died. So in Matthew 24, 51 to 53, um, we we know that when Jesus ascended to heaven, he took a host of captives with him. That's Ephesians 4 and verse 8. They possibly went to heaven with him as witnesses from um, humanity um, to God's fairness in his action. So isn't that interesting? So that um, is a very high possibility that they were the ones that were raised um, with Jesus. Now, Lynette, can I get you to read um, verses four and f- no five and six? Sorry, five and six. 
Okay. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass clear as crystal. In the centre around the throne were four living creatures and they were covered with eyes in front and in the back. Right. So, <clears throat> very good. So, um, <clears throat> 24 elders seated uh, on their thrones. They're dressed in white and crowns on the head. And then it says, verse 5, the thrones, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumbling, pearls and thunder. Um, now the same expression is in Revelation eleven nineteen, and um, verse, uh, chapter 16, 17 and 18. It says the exact same thing. So um, <coughs> then it says, Before the throne there will look like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Now, when you turn over, I'll just turn over to chapter 15, and you have that sea of glass. In in Revelation 15, verse 2, I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire, and standing beside the sea, those who had gotten the victory over the beast, his image, and the number of his name. Now, that's future. Um, we'll talk about it another time. They held harps. No, they yeah, they held harps given them by God, and they sang the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of Moses, and so on. And it goes on and gives praise to God. So these people that have gotten the victory, um, the last generation, are standing on a sea of glass and giving God um, <coughs> victory. So, um, I think we should have a, a bit of a break, eh, and play another song. Maybe you're going to play that one on Rescue, which is a very good song. We need to be rescued from ourselves, don't we? He's our rescuer. Good news for the shame. There is good news for the world who walked away. There is good news for the doubter. The one religion failed. For the good Lord has come to seek and save. He's our
Good to be back again. Um, that's a great song and a very cheerful from a group from um, Ireland. Ireland's a great place. Um, my great-grandfather came from Ireland um, in the 1800s, so he was the first policeman in Fielding. So that's interesting, isn't it? So, um, Lynette, I'd like you to read um, verses 6 to 8, please. Of Revelation 4. Ooh. And six, just finding six, there it is. Yeah, six to eight. Yep. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered in eyes in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion, the second was like an ox, The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. And I'm reading verse 8. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and were covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped singing, saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. <clears throat> right, thank you. So the, these four living creatures um, are mentioned there. And um, who are they? Now, if you go to Revelate, no, to Ezekiel 1, they've mentioned quite a few times, and also Isaiah 6. Um, we believe that these are angels. Angels, see, they're praising and saying, Holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. That's what it says in Isaiah 6. Now, 30% of Revelation 4 comes from Ezekiel 1, chapter 1. So it's quite a lot there. Um, there's a lot that we could say, but we'll we'll move on. And um, I really want to get to the last verse, which is the um, a wonderful verse for you and me. So if we could read, um, Lynette, if you could read um, verses 9 to 11. Right. I was looking over at, um, what was it, the chapter you just said in the Old Testament? No, don't. Yeah, yeah no, but I was looking for it's Ezekiel, Ezekiel yeah, 1. Yeah, but so we want Revelation 4. four. Are you right or you want me to read it? I'm getting there. Revelation 4, and what verse am I? We're reading 9 to 11. Oh, yep, there we go. Whenever the living creatures gave glory, honour and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fell down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord, our God, to receive glory and honour and power. 
For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Right. Um, now, so here we have 24 elders, which we've mentioned a wee bit, and the living creatures, which we believe are the angels. The 24 elders, we believe, are representatives of those who are saved. Um, and uh, they're before the throne and um, the creator of the universe. Now, Lynette, I was going to get you to read from that book of John Pauline, The Seven Keys, page 60, 68 and 69. So John Pauline, there was two um, professors who um, wrote um, the uh, little booklets on Revelation, Revelation, Hope, Meaning and Purpose, and John Pauline, he, um, he was his head of um, New Testament theology at Andrews University in America. And he's wrote this little book summarising um, Revelation. So if you could read that, that would be great, Lynette. Mm-hmm. To the ancients, however, the throne was a symbol of power, a symbol of authority. The one who sits on the throne has the right to rule. Interestingly, many ancient thrones were actually couches, There was room for two or three people to sit on them. In the ancient context, it was possible for the king to elevate people to high authority next to himself. So when John wrote that Jesus sat with his father on his throne in um, chapter 321, he was saying that the father was giving Jesus authority to rule over the universe. That also tells us that one day we will will have an amazing privilege. As overcomers, we will sit with Jesus on his throne. The book of Revelation says the people of God will be kings and priests. And that is in uh, Revelation 1, 6 and 5, verse 10. There's a sense in which the promise God has for the overcomer also includes sharing to some extent, in ruling the universe. So, the throne is the key. The Old Testament background of Revelation 4 and 5 is all about thrones. Daniel 7 gives us Daniel's vision of the throne of God. Ezekiel 1 also contains a vision of the throne of God. Isaiah 6 pictures the prophet standing before God's throne and hearing the song, Holy, Holy, Holy. And in 1 Kings 22, Micaiah has a vision of the throne of God in the heavenly courts. And Exodus 19 portrays God as enthroned on Mount Sinai. The common denominator of all five passages is the throne of God in Revelation 4 and 5 allude to all five of these Old Testament passages In fact, 30% of the words in chapter 4 are drawn from Ezekiel chapter 1. It's amazing how similar the two passages are. What's the key issue in Revelation 4 and 5? It is the matter of who is in charge of the universe. Is God in charge or is someone else in charge? Mm, so that's very good, isn't it? So that's the issue. <clears throat> yeah. 
is God enthroned in charge or is he not? And uh, next time we'll, we'll go into Revelation 5 and talk about that a bit more. But I'd like to finish with um, verse 11. Verse 11, it says, I love this verse. I really do. It says, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory, honour and power, for you created all things. Created all things. And um, by your will they were created and have their being. See, it's God's will that we are here. We are here. Um, I, I'd just like to <clears throat> read this to you. I think this is amazing. It's about the human cell, and it says our bodies contain about 300 trillion cells. The information in one cell is equivalent to 100 million pages of the Encyclopedia uh, Botanica. Right? Five million cells in a drop of blood. Now, in the nucleus of the cell, the centre of the cell, there are coiled chains of the DNA molecule. And each DNA molecule has four billion bits of information. Our DNA coil has three billion letters in a specific order. The DNA in just our body was taken out and laid end for end, it would stretch 50 billion kilometres. In the human cell, every moment the cell is performing 2,000 operations, 2,000 things are happening chemically every moment of time. Bill Gates said um, that the best computer man could come up with would be nowhere near what we have in each cell of our body. Isn't that amazing? The, one of the top atheists in the world, Anthony Froome, had been a figurehead of atheism for years. He has abandoned his atheism and accepted the existence of God. This is what he said. It, it now seems to me that the findings of more than 50 years of DNA research has provided material for a new and enormous, powerful argument for design. Is it possible with all this intelligent design that it could happen by chance? Evolutional theory claims we are here only by chance and that there is no plan, no purpose, no intention for us. We are cosmic accident, nothing more. I believe our existence here is not by accident because God purposed to put us here. And there was a distinct plan for our existence. Verse Revelation 4.11 says, For you created all things. By your will they were created and have their being. Now I've run out of time. I wanted to share something more. So we'll just have to do it um, again next time. So I'm sorry our clock has beaten us again. So God bless you. Thank you, Dennis. So we have, um, we're really, God has given us a great gift in the book of Revelation. It gives us so much hope, meaning, and purpose. And um, yeah, it just seems like it's getting closer and closer. So let's um, just finish um, with a prayer. 
Heavenly Father, we just ask that the words that have been shared today, that you will um, water them and bless them, that we will be able to take them into our minds and our hearts and help us to know that you are our best friend. You want the very best for each person who is listening and you have a, a wonderful plan and a future and hope for each we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, from all of us here at Amazing Grace, we pray that you will grow in grace. Just as the Bible says, may the love of the Father and the grace of the Lord Jesus and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. God bless.